Welcome to the Point is to Serve podcast. We want to encourage you towards a vibrant and active faith in Jesus Christ. For more information about our ministry, visit our website at thepointistoserve.org. And now, here's this week's teaching. We are in the series on the Sermon on the Mount. Joel is leading us. And let me just say, several of you ask, how am I doing in retirement? Uh, I recommend it. Uh, I have loved the flexibility, have missed, we were gone a lot this summer on weekends, and so I haven't been here a lot last weekend with the breakfast, it was so good to connect with so many of you, uh, and I'm just so proud of this congregation, the staff, Joel and John and Kayla and Kaya, who have just been so faithful, uh, God is just doing such great things, and it's, it's just exciting to be a part of that. So as we continue on this sermon in the Sermon on the Mount, I want to kind of set the stage with this story. Uh, Several years ago, uh, our family went to England, and and first week was northern England and Scotland. We went as far as Edinburgh, uh, and uh, the second part was in London. And so the first part, we needed a car, and so I rented it and uh, realized that to get a car with an automatic transmission was significantly more than a stick, and I'm used to a stick. So we land in, I don't know, Heathrow Airport in London and go to the ticket counter or the, the reservation car rental place and get the car, and I say, could you give me directions to this spot? And she looks at me and says, and I won't even try to say it with a British accent because I would just slaughter that. But she says, are you kidding? I would never drive in this city. Okay, thank you. Give me the keys. We'll be fine. <laughs> so first of all, I try to get in the rider's door, which is the driver's door to me, but it's now that they've moved the steering wheel, and I knew that in my mind, but I still out of habit go to the driver's door, which in England is the rider's door. So I go over there, and, I, and I'm relieved to see that the gas and the foot, the clutch and the brake are the same as our cars. But what took me a little bit of getting used to was that shifting was now here. And several times I stuck my hand in the side pocket of the door looking for a shift thing because uh, it, was, it was weird to be shifting towards yourself and then to get into London traffic, which the, the person was right. It is crazy over there, and they drive on the wrong side of the road. Uh, and so we get out of there, and people are just going fast. And eventually we get out in the main interstate heading north, uh, and people are traveling like 90 miles an hour, and it was crazy, uh, but fun. It was exciting. Everybody else in the car had to pass out sedatives, but I was having a great time. Uh, traffic circles were super exciting, uh, but what if I came home and said, hey, I found a new way to drive, and I'm going to keep doing it. And when I come out of the church parking lot, I turn left and I'm heading right into traffic and watching cars veer out on my way. Uh, It would not be a good thing. And worse yet, what if I came back and told all of you how exciting it is to drive on the left-hand side and you all started to do it? Well, there'd be a lot of collisions, weren't there? The Sermon on the Mount is really intended to create intentional collisions, (laughs) That if we take the Sermon on the Mount, and especially this passage we're going to look at this morning, and and try to implement it, uh, there will be collisions with the secular world. That if we try to live out these Beatitudes, these blessedness statements, that there will be people who will just say, we don't understand you. In fact, Matthew uh, 
can't decide whether I need my glasses. How, how do you like these glasses? This is retirement gift right here, baby. Okay. When, uh, when Jesus says, uh, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Because of me, rejoice and be glad. Really? Is that the way it's supposed to be? It is a collision. And sometimes it's with a non-Christian. Sometimes, as Jesus would testify, it is people who are in the faith who say, wait a minute, you're getting this all wrong. And even today, I think there might be a collision in your internal being as you look at this passage. As you look at what Jesus is saying about what is righteousness. I don't know how you grew up, but I grew up in a, in a community that was a hard-working f- community. And there's a sense of if you didn't work hard, you weren't worth much. And so this idea of grace, so we went to a, a good church, but a church was saying, yeah, you're saved by grace, but you better earn it. <laughs> they didn't really say that, but they, told, they gave us a list of things that we were supposed to do because although we're saved by grace, you have to somehow earn that. And it wasn't necessarily that clearly stated, but you just got the impression that if you just received Jesus through grace, that, that's only half done. And, it's, and there's a collision in me when I try to understand that God's grace is complete and thorough. And so this morning, as we look, read this passage, we want you to understand that if you are in, uncomfortable with this, if this is causing a collision, our prayer team is, is starting this Sunday um, at the end of the service, and I'll try to remind you at the end, but there will be people each Sunday we believe that God is active in this time and that God is prompting you. And what do you do with it? Sometimes you need people. So this morning, Max and, Sh- and Cheryl will be over on that side. Uh, and if you just need to pray with somebody or talk with somebody, and that, if the preacher of the day isn't, isn't there, there are people who will not only talk with you but pray with you and, and intercede for you. Because if God is moving, we want this to be a safe place for you to pursue that. So this morning, let us look... Now that I started using my glasses, they're, they're kind of exciting. I'm going to put them on again so I get the scripture right. Whoo! Matthew 5, 17 to 20. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least, command, uh, the, the least commandment and teach others to, others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them to, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's good news. Uh, so let's uh, go home and have a great lunch and uh, let this sit on your soul for a while. What? You will never enter the kingdom of heaven unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus, I thought this is supposed to be good news. I'm sure Jesus shared this, and we don't know whether it's really one sermon or in Luke, it's many of, this, many of these teachings are spread throughout. But Matthew, he puts them all together and it's kind of building. Last week we talked about salt and light and doing good deeds. 
And then let me tell you, it's fun to be a part of this church because we do that so well. I'm just, I celebrate this church in all the ways we are salt and light and doing good deeds. But you'd think Jesus would say, okay, now let's quantify good deeds. <laughs> if you really do a lot of good deeds, then you're up here. If you only stumble and accidentally do them, they hardly even count. And Jesus turns the subject now, instead of building on the good deeds that it's a quantitative thing, you just have to do it all the time, to saying, what is righteousness? So this morning, I want to give three questions that, this, that is prompted by this passage. And the thesis of this whole sermon is that righteousness is within our reach. You can leave here completely righteous. Even more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees who did it for a living, who made their life this great pursuit of keeping all the commandments. Jesus says, if this is good news, that we can reach for this and hold it and attain it and live it out. Praise God for that. So, like every good story, sometimes the end helps us understand the beginning. So I'm going to look at this passage a little bit from the backwards moving forwards. How do we measure righteousness? Jesus said in this passage, but unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, these were the religious leaders, these were the people who, who did it right. I mean, that was everything they did. 631 commandments in the Old Testament. They tried to fulfill them all the time. They knew them. They would talk about them. They would challenge each other on how to do this. 631 rules that are found in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, or as the Hebrew community would call, the Jewish community would call them, the Torah, the law. That to be a follower of Jesus is to fulfill these laws. The nation of Israel believed that if the whole nation could obey all of these rules for a day, that eternity would come into the presence, that the Messiah would come and, and they'd live happily ever after. And so they were intent on doing this. And this is the righteousness that the people who were listening to the teaching would have went, oh, what? I can't do better than them. I can't be more righteous than those people who stand in the prayer, on the street corners and pray in their robes and their, all their presentation and ceremony. The people who are in the synagogue and temple almost every day and doing everything right. Jesus, I can't do this. But the good news is that we can. Righteousness can be achieved. Maybe a collision in our heart to believe it, to live it out. But we can achieve that. Jesus was not impressed with the religious leaders. <laughs> they were thrown in his flesh and he said, I'll return the favor. Uh, he spoke of them publicly one time in Matthew 23, 27 to 28. He says this, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and, and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled, with, filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. In Greek theater, the actors wore big masks. The Greek theater was an epic thing, and they were massive uh, uh, surround 
what, amphitheaters. And so the actor to be seen would wear a huge mask and their expressions would be, would be made larger than life. The Greek name for them was hypocrites. <laughs> that they were people who acted bigger than they were, whose expressions were bigger than they are. And when Jesus uses the word hypocrite, he is saying your life how you want to be seen is bigger than really who you are. Righteousness is not acting big. Righteousness is finding a new measuring stick. Isaiah 64 says this, but we are all alike. We are unclean things, and all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. How is, it we, how is righteousness measured? For most of us, we grew up by measuring it based upon who we are. I'm as righteous as I act. The scribes and Pharisees were as righteous as they acted. But Jesus says there is a new measuring stick. It is the work of Jesus Christ in our life. If you're... At, if your righteousness is going to exceed the scribes of the Pharisees, your righteousness cannot start with you. It has to start with the work of Christ. Romans 5 is a powerful chapter as we read about what righteousness is as defined by the work of Christ. Romans 5 says this, You see at this, at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for the righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by the blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. There is a new measuring stick. And righteousness doesn't start with you. That kind of righteousness that Jesus is talking about starts with the work of Jesus Christ. It is available to all of us. But sometimes, even in church, we mix up the game a little bit. We say, yes, you're saved by grace. Uh, and also, we need you to teach Sunday school. <laughs> Can you help us out with that? Because, boy, God's going to really love you if you do that. Or if you go to church every Sunday, and we, we come to church, in a sense, with our punch card, and we just kind of uh, keep punching it, hoping that when we go to heaven, we can say, I've asked you, Jesus, forgive me and call me your child, but, but look what I brought. I brought my attendance card from church. And Jesus is going to say, did you miss the whole thing? You are not being measured by who you are. You're being measured by the work of Jesus Christ. And when God looks at you, you are considered fully righteous when you do this process of becoming a child of God. And you may all know this, but it has to be repeated today because this is what righteousness is based on. When I understand that I have broken God's heart, 
willfully and unintentionally. I have, God has wanted me to live this way, and by choice and by mistake, I have lived this way. And I've come to a place in my life where I've said, Jesus Christ, I am tired of being away from you. I'm tired of being broken on my own. I want to claim you as my Savior, so God, forgive me of my sins. Enter my life. I can't do this perfectly, Jesus, but I want you to take over my life. I want to be your child. And you know what Jesus does? He says, got it covered. The cross, now when God looks at you, he goes, you know, you look a lot like my son. And it's like, well, wait a minute. You don't know. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's okay. As far as the east is from the west, so far as you have you removed my transgressions, from me, and I stand before you, God, because of your work of, on the cross through Jesus Christ, righteous. And that's still hard for me to grasp. That is the collision, because I know who I am. And I need to know more of who Jesus Christ is in my life. So Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law. So what is the purpose of the law? In the next week, and I can't really talk about them specifically, we'll just talk to them in code because somebody's going to be preaching on them, probably Joel. But six times you're going to hear Jesus say, you, you have heard this, or you have heard it said, and then there's going to talk about a specific, like murder. You've heard it said, but now I say this. Let's talk about murder for a minute. You've heard it said that do not commit murder, which we all would agree is a pretty healthy rule to live by. Jesus, however, goes beyond the law and says, But I tell you this, anyone who hates his brother or sister is guilty of murder. So here's the bad news. It's going to get worse. <laughs> if we're going to keep saying, God, I don't need all of your righteousness. I just need enough to get by. I don't really want to claim myself as fully righteous. I'll do the rest. <laughs> Jesus is going to turn up the temperature in the weeks ahead as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. Because now it's just, not, it's just not the external thing. I haven't killed anybody. And Jesus is going to say to us, but remember how you spoke to that person who cut you off in traffic. Remember how you talked to that person who, who offended you. You really murdered them in your heart. So what is the law all about? The law, as you look back in the Old Testament, uh, was a covenant, a relationship between the nation of Israel and God. It had 630-some commandments. We know as we look through the Old Testament, it didn't go very well. <laughs> the nation of Israel would, 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 would want to repent and want to follow Jesus and want to be, uh, follow God and, and want to be worthy of the covenant. They would try and try and try and then they'd fail. And then they'd go through terrible times of destruction and loss. And then they'd go, wait a minute, there's this guy who loves us. We're going to renew this covenant. And then they would do this for like 40 years, and then they would fail. And so it just repeats over and over and over and over again. About 600 years before Christ comes, the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah are destroyed. The people are scattered like seeds in the wind. A remnant is in Babylon but they are hopeless. Uh, the, the, the religious culture has been decimated. And the great covenant experiment from the Israel's vantage point would completely say they have failed. The prophet Jeremiah, who saw the destruction, 
says this, though, on behalf of God. There is a day coming, says the Lord, when I will make my new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. The covenant will not be like the one I made with with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, uh, though I love them as a husband loves his wife. But this new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write their letters on, on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, like says the Lord. I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. What Jesus is saying is the law matters. It points us in the right direction. Romans 5 continues to talk about the purpose of the law, and the law has direction. We don't just throw it out. But the destination is completed by the work of God's grace. And we, do, we follow the law because the Beatitudes call us to a blessedness. And those, the Bible, the teachings of Scripture, teach us to live into that blessedness. The Sermon on the Mount isn't written necessarily for non-Christians. It isn't, this is how you become a child of God. It's written really for people who have already chosen, okay, this Jesus, I am a follower. I want you to teach me what this means. And the Sermon on the Mount goes beyond the law that we will be people who aren't governed by law but governed by what is in our, in our hearts. So what's the takeaway from this passage, this hard passage? One, it is good news. The righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious professionals is within our reach. When we understand what this means, it changes everything for us. Jesus is the beginning of our salvation. He's the sustenance for our salvation. He's everything we are looking for. So when we underestimate, when we understand the law, we know we need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. And he stands before us with his arms open wide. The kingdom of heaven is living under the reign or rule of God. When Jesus says you will not be part of the kingdom of heaven, he isn't kicking anybody out of eternity. He's saying this is the rule or reign of God. And if you want to live under that, if you want to live into this blessedness, then listen to my words and drive in a different direction than culture is going. Let there be some godly collisions as we live differently because of this. And lastly, righteousness should always keep us humble. The scribes and the Pharisees were so impressed with themselves. (laughs) They would stand on the corner, they would put their, and they would pray, or they'd go to the uh, synagogue or temple, and they'd put in their, their, their coins as loudly as they could because they were saying, this righteousness that I've worked for is, is incredible. You should want to be like me. Well, for a follower who understands the work of Jesus Christ, their response to their goodness is, I am complete in Christ. You should want to be like Jesus. We take ourselves out of the equation. The church is no longer a group of holy rollers or people who judge one another. It's a 
group of broken people who know that because of the work of Christ, we are completely righteous in God because of Jesus Christ. And we are now a beggar showing another beggar where to find food. Romans 4.22 says this, And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Righteousness is within our reach. What will you do with that? This passage in the Old Testament, uh, this passage in the New Testament, in the King James, which I grew up, that's what I started memorizing, and every once in a while the King James comes out with me, and people look at me like, what? It uses the word imputeth. Try using that ten times this week in your life. Imputed, we have God, Jesus says, imputeth on us his righteousness. It's like putting on a robe. We know who we are. We know our nakedness, our brokenness. But in Christ, we have been given this robe of grace. Wednesday morning, I woke up remembering this song from 1992 or 1994. And I texted John and said, okay, John, here's a big ask. <laughs> There's a song. I even remembered the author, the composer, the singer. Could you do this as, as a closing song? And there's a sponsor. No way. <laughs> no, that wasn't his response. It was yes. Yes. This morning, I want you to listen to this song. It speaks the gospel to all of us. When that collision hits us and says, no, I, I'm not righteousness. I know my brokenness. I know that. I mean, maybe God lets me in on that you know, on the edges, but God doesn't welcome me into the center of who he is and what's going on. When that thing raises up, there needs to be a collision. You need to drive into that as fast as you can go and say, no, righteousness is within my reach. All we have to do is just put on this robe of grace. So let me pray for us and the band will come and listen to every word. It's God's gift to you today. Dear God, thank you so much. That as hard as we try to be righteous, that there's always this gap. And God, thank you that if, if we start our righteousness with you and let it, you sustain it and, and walk with us into the future, God, that we are seen by God the Father as fully righteous. And God, then we have good news to share. Then we have a word of witness. So God, this morning as we sometimes are in this mix of of accepting grace but trying to cover it ourselves, may we just rest before you and receive this robe that you offer. Speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Point is to Serve podcast series. For more information about pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ or information about the Point is to Serve ministry, visit our website at thepointistoserve.org. Thank you and God bless.